Fathers, we continue in your presence. We just thank you that you are our living hope, that we have a living hope. Thank you for that. I pray, Lord, as we open your word this morning, that you would speak to our hearts. Encourage us. Help us, Lord, that we may live in ways that honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everyone. Today we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7. Wow, it's going to be a short message, right? I'm John Preston. If you're visiting today or I haven't had the chance to meet you, um, I'm one of several who share the teaching ministry at First Colony. And uh, my occupation is uh, I conduct uh, construction safety training. And um, one of the things that I've learned in my career teaching safety training is you don't just need to tell people what to do. You need to tell them how to do it. For one safety topic, we could say safe lifting, okay? Because that's uh, back injuries are very common in the construction uh, business. People are hurting their backs all the time. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that they're using the wrong techniques. They need to know how to lift. So it's more than just saying, um, okay, be sure and go out there and uh, lift safely. Go out there and and be safe today. You've got to tell them how. Like, for example, if I was lifting a heavy object, I would want to pick something up and bend with my, uh, lift with my legs, bend my knees. That would be a how. Another thing is um, to make sure that when I lift something, I hold it close to me and I don't twist. Because when you lift and twist, you can hurt your back. So how we do something is very important. And my concern this morning, as we go through this and we talk about love, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things, my concern is that I may lean a little bit toward the theory and not so much that we don't get the application and that we don't get the how. The how is critical. So today, uh, here's the three points. We want to look at the four, these four attributes of love, how we can love like that, and then again, the motive, also the motivation, why we should love like that. So, we want to bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things. And before we get started, I should probably introduce part of, of a little bit about this book because... Oftentimes, I think we don't think about the, con- the, the context too much. So let's imagine, and by the way, I may not have this right exactly. Sosthenes may have been the one who wrote the book as Paul dictated to him. Or maybe Sosthenes had another position, but his name appears in the book. So I'm just going to say he wrote it and Paul dictated it just for the purposes of this little exercise. Okay, so here's Paul speaking. We have a little conversation going on. Paul says, well, that should do it. Right to the point. What do you think, Sas? And Sasanese answers, well, AP, I think you've hit, all, hit on all the important stuff, but I got a funny feeling about this. And Paul says, what do you mean? And he says, well, about three-fourths of the way through the book, and if I was dividing it into chapters, it'd be about chapter 13. I have a funny feeling this message will be misunderstood. Paul says, this letter isn't divided into chapters, is it? Sosthenes says, true, not yet anyway. But you're talking about spiritual gifts, and then you talk about love, and then you're back to talking about spiritual gifts again. And Paul says, Sos, these people are dealing with major issues. And I think a lot of it is because they don't really love each other the way God intends. 
And Sosthenes says, right. But AP, you talk about the use and misuse of spiritual gifts, and suddenly you're talking about love, and then you're talking about spiritual gifts again. And of course, Paul's exasperated at this point. I explained all that. What's your point? They should exercise gifts in a spirit of agape love. And Sosthenes says, I'm just thinking that maybe the only time people will read this part is at weddings. <laughs> they will miss the whole point of what you intend. Paul says, weddings? He wasn't talking about weddings. He was talking about the exercise of spiritual gifts in the church. And he sandwiches this part about love and the importance of love. So, chapter 13 is probably the most familiar chapter in the book of 1 Corinthians. And, admittedly, I mean, it, it's appropriate to talk about uh, chapter 13 at weddings. Paul wants the Corinthians... Uh, the Corinthian Christians to know that loving others is the true measure of maturity, not in using spiritual gifts. In the first three verses of chapter 13, Paul makes the amazing statement that regardless of any gifts we might have, any great things that we do, or any great sacrifices we make, without love, it is worthless. In fact, he says that if we have all the gifts, and even if we give everything we have to the poor, and even if we die the death of a martyr, but we have not love, we gain nothing. And he's stressing the importance that everything we do should be done in love. So sandwiched between 12 and 14, Paul makes the important point that love is essential in controlling the ministry of gifts, and unless spiritual gifts are exercised with love for one another, they are worthless. And one thing I will say is... is I've been in this uh, assembly for a long time, almost as long as Mammon Sam. Um, and, and I have, over the years, experienced this. The exercise of spiritual gifts in the context of love. And, and I hope that, that uh, what we look at this morning is an encouragement to you. Um, because I think we've seen this lived out here in this assembly. So, yes, it's okay to read chapter 13 at weddings and any other times we're talking about self-sacrificial love. However, the primary application for the scripture has to do with how we treat each other as we serve God in the church. Let's talk a little bit about agape love. Paul and other New Testament writers use the word agape extensively to describe God's self-sacrificing love for us displayed in sending his son, Jesus Christ. The word agape represents unconditional love. That is, choosing to love another person regardless of our feelings. You could not have friendship love or romantic love for your enemy, but you could have agape love. Agape love is a conscious decision to love other people no matter what. Agape is a self-giving love that gives without demanding or expecting repayment. It loves without changing. It is a love that loves even when it is rejected. Agape love gives because it wants to. It does not demand or expect repayment from the love given. It does not love, it love in order to receive. Agape love is a perfect love. Agape love means, it means responding in kindness when we have been repeatedly mistreated. It means refusing to nurse our grievances against those who are guilty of sin against us. Love finds a way to reach out and heal if possible. But this is difficult for self-centered people. This kind of love, this kind of life is not easy for us. It is agape love 
bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So even though these characteristics are difficult for me, Jesus does this perfectly, and I am called to this higher standard. And God measures my life by it. Not by spiritual gift, but how I love in the process of working in my spiritual gift, my spiritual capacity. So backing up a bit, we can notice in verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 13 that we see that love is patient and love is kind. I think these two words are important. They describe our passive and active responses toward each other. First of all, let's consider that God is patient and God is kind. What we mean is God is patient in that he holds back his wrath when people deserve judgment. He holds back his wrath. God is kind because he pours out his mercies even though they're not deserved. And with that being said, we, we can start thinking about love, bearing all things, and believe all things, and hope all things, and endure all things. Because love is patient and love is kind. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, Paul speaks of God's kindness, tolerance, and patience, and how his kindness leads us toward repentance. Love practices acts of kindness to others. Simple, loving acts of kindness. Agape love bears all things. The word Paul uses here is related to the Greek word for roof. When he's talking about it bears things, he's talking about the roof that protects by covering, just as a roof provides a protective covering from the elements. Love protects, love covers. A good shepherd protects the sheep. A parent naturally protects his or her children. Some children complain that their parents are overly protective. There's an important truth in 1 Peter 4.8, and it says, And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. What we mean is, when we say love bears all things, love covers, love supports, it doesn't publicize people's mistakes. Love hides the sins of others instead of gossiping about the matter. How often, though, is that not done? How often do we go to someone else and unload how we've been mistreated? And I'm not thinking about anybody else in this room right now. I'm thinking about how I respond when someone does something against me. How often... Instead of going to that person individually, directly, and talking to them, how often do I explain it to somebody else? Because that's our carnal nature. We don't handle these things right all the time. I don't. So we can see why this kind of love is a necessity when exercising spiritual gifts. Agape love hides the sins of others instead of gossiping about that person. Too often, when a person fails in some way, instead of going to that person alone, it's inappropriately discussed with others. And love, loving someone means not sharing that information. Love bears all things also means that love bears injuries of others without resentment. That doesn't come easily, does it? Self-love enjoys the resentment. Self-love says, I want my own way. Agape love doesn't asked to have an easy life. Agape love denies herself, sacrifices herself to win victories for God. And that leads us to love believes all things. 
Agape love is eager to believe the best in other people. It's quick to give the benefit of the doubt. Love is not immediately suspicious. Love wants to see the good. This means love always trust. Now, this doesn't mean that love is stupid or naive. Those words aren't anywhere in Paul's list. It does not believe that an obvious love does not believe an obvious lie or blindly put its trust in untrustworthy people. But love chooses to believe the best about people until proven otherwise. And love certainly trusts God, who is always completely trustworthy. Agape love hopes all things. This means love gives the benefit of the doubt to others' motives. Another thing we have trouble with sometimes is judging other people and their motives. We are not to judge others. Love puts that into God's hands. For example, when someone prays, love doesn't judge and say, that person's really proud of themselves. They just want to hear themselves speak. They think they're important, or whatever our thoughts might be. But love is hopeful. It's optimistic. Love does not dwell on the problems of the past, but looks to the future with confidence and grace. Love hopes for the best, and it hopes in God. Agape love endures all things. Love doesn't quit and walk away. Love holds on. When hope is gone, love is not discouraged in the repeated failures of other people. I'm very, very blessed in this regard. People didn't give up on me when I was when I was young and immature. I I am very happy that people uh, I gave them plenty of reasons to give up on me and be discouraged. But I'm so happy that people continued to love me the way that God loves me. Love always perseveres. Love never stops loving. It continues in the face of rejection and opposition. It bears up under insult and injury. This is a high standard, isn't it? Agape love perseveres because it is unconditional. It chooses to love people in spite of themselves. Agape love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And Paul says, without this kind of love, we are nothing. It's a very high standard. Jesus does this perfectly. How could a simple verse be so difficult? And then Paul had to add all things. Thank you. All things covers everything. We can, bear, we can all bear some things, or we can believe some things, we can hope some things, and we can endure some things for a certain amount of time. But God calls us Farther and deeper into love for him, for one another, and for this lost world. The greatness of agape love is it keeps on bearing, keeps on believing, keeps on hoping, and it doesn't give up. I think a... uh, I don't know if you've ever tried this before. The plank exercise is a great metaphor for life. If you've never tried this, try this when you get home today. You just... Get in a position like that. There's different ways to do plank exercises. There's a million of them. But holding that position, while it might look easy, is very difficult. And what happens over a period of time if you've done this? Your muscles start getting weak and they start shaking and all that kind of stuff. If you're timing yourself and you say, okay, I'm going to hold this position for a minute. When that second hand goes around, you say, okay, I can hold on. I can hold on because I know that my minute is going to be up pretty soon. Or if you're counting, you can count faster and faster and faster. The problem is, if we don't have a timer, 
if we're not doing the counting, if it's all on somebody else, let's say you've got a personal trainer and they're saying, okay, let's see how long you can hold that. Then it becomes, you don't see the end. You don't see the relief, <laughs> the point when you can collapse and go, I'm glad that's over with. That's why I think it's a great metaphor for life. How can we live like this? How can we bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, and, and endure all things? So, I don't know if you're like me, but here we are at the how. How is this going to be possible? How can we live up to this high standard? Jesus said to us uh, one, one time in the, uh, in the garden, he said, The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That is the problem. We know what to do, and we want to do the right thing, but self gets in the way, right? In Galatians 5, Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. has a whole list. The first one on that list is love. It's the fruit of the Spirit. I think the answer to how we can persevere in difficult situations and keep love, self-love from taking the place of agape love is found in John chapter 15. You might remember that in John chapter 14, Jesus and the disciples are leaving the upper room. And they're headed toward the garden. And Jesus is going to be facing the most difficult time of his life. And Jesus tells them something that's very important to us. And that is, he says, I am the true vine. And he begins to talk about bearing fruit. Now, when we read these verses, please do not think in terms of salvation. What we're talking about is fruit bearing in the Christian life. And what I'm thinking is, this is the how that we're to love people the way that Jesus wants us to love people. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. The answer to how we can love like we are commanded to in verse 4 where he says, abide in me. This is how we can be fruitful. And apart from abiding in him, we can do nothing. I think the picture of the grapes, the, I mean the grape vine and the branches is a great picture of, uh, because it's simple and it's to the point. The branches independent of themselves aren't going to do anything. The branches have to be connected to the vine in order for that nourishment to go through in order for the grapes to grow. The branches are the conduit. So we're the branches and we cannot bear fruit apart from Jesus Christ. We cannot bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, and endure all things except by abiding in Jesus Christ. Abiding in Christ is not about activity, service, and busyness. It's not about those spiritual gifts that we were talking about a while ago. What it is, is we work out those spiritual gifts abiding in him and his love is in us and we will have fruit for God. Abiding in Christ includes being in God's word. Jesus explains in John chapter 15 that the word of God cleanses us. Reading and meditating on the word of God must have its rightful priority in our daily lives. So the question to all the branches in this room Are we in the word? Are we abiding? Fruit for God, that is, loving others as described in 1 Corinthians 13, is going to come as a result of abiding in him. And an important part of that is spending time in his word and in prayer. It's an absolute necessity to get involved in reading God's word. 
This means blocking out time to be alone with God. There's no substitute, no other way. Having a sensitivity to God's word is critical. And the only way is to read and meditate on it. Prayer is important, and it's also mentioned in these verses. Prayer acknowledges our total and complete dependence on him. Acknowledging that we have no strength apart from him. Without him, I can do nothing. Without love, I am nothing. Just like the grapes grow naturally on the branches, bearing fruit for God in our lives is a natural result. That is the how, that we bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, and endure all things. The answer is to abide in him. The question is, is the Christian life working for you? Does the Christian life work for you today? And the real question is, are you abiding? Am I abiding Think about this. How could Jesus face everything in front of him that was just a few hours away from when he's talking about this with the disciples? How could he face that when he was facing, how could he talk about that when he was facing the injustice, the scourging, the physical beating, the betrayal of friends? He was facing the cross. And it wasn't just the physical torture he had to face. He was also bearing the eternal punishment for our sins and being forsaken by God. On the cross, he bore our sin. That's how we are made right with God. How could Jesus endure, endure all of that? Bearing the weight of the punishment for my sins. In 1 John 4.18, it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Jesus prayed in the garden, if it is your will, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. How could Jesus say that? In 1724, Jesus says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. The reason Jesus could say yes to the will of the Father in Gethsemane, the reason he could say Not my will, but your will is because he trusted God because he knew God loved him. That's how he could do that. He trusted God. He knew God's love. And there's no fear in love. Later in John chapter 18, when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, Peter took his sword and cut off the servant's ear. And Jesus' response to Peter in verse 11 is, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? We can bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, and endure all things because we know God loves us and there is no fear in love. Our circumstances, our very lives are in his hands. And I can sit up here and I can put this up here, but what is it like when I face that difficulty? Can I really do it? And I really believe that this is the only way we can face those difficult times in our life. And the only time that we can love people when they're unlovable. Because perfect love casts out fear. There's nothing that come come into our lives that we cannot accept if we believe that God loves us perfectly. There's nothing that can come into my life that I can't accept if I believe God loves me perfectly. God, who has called us to love one another, will empower us to love as we abide in Him. This is not about a legalistic lifestyle where we expect God to be in our debt because we are doing things right. It's about an abiding relationship. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he says, Come to me, all who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And the structure of that sentence, actually, if you look at it, it's I will rest you. He does the work. 
He's the vine. We're the branches. The fruit comes from what he does. And he rests us. So next is, why should we love like this? What is the motivation? Why should we love like this? First of all, it brings glory to God. In John 15, 8, By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. God is glorified when we bear much fruit. He receives glory when we bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, and endure all things. Secondly, we're commanded to love like this. This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Love calls for action. Also, the third, this is how our lives are measured. It's interesting that in God's economy, the important thing is not that we use our spiritual gifts so much that we operate in a spirit of agape love as we function in the body. First Corinthians chapter 13 says, And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all have all knowledge and have all faith which remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, to be burned but if I have not love, I gain nothing. Without this kind of love in our lives, what we do is effectively is effectively nothing, regardless of any gifts that we might have, any great things that we do, any great sacrifices we make, without love, in God's economy, it is worthless. Jesus said, we'll only be fruitful if we abide in him. There is no room for self-centeredness, no room for pride, and this is God's work, and we must have the mind of Christ. This means we work with a spirit of a humble servant. Let's close in prayer with a verse from Psalm 119. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Heavenly Father, you have shown us what great love, what love is, and you have told us that love must be our greatest aim. Help us to remember Without love, our words don't matter, our knowledge is empty, and all we give is insignificant, and all we accomplish is inadequate. Thank you that the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And as we have been loved, help us to walk in love. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.